Lord, we are just so grateful to be in your house this morning. We know that the victory is yours, Lord, and we're here fighting the fight. Lord, I just pray that these songs would become weapons against all the forces that are fighting against us in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.
Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And as we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace, consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.
receive the prayers of your people who call upon you and grant that they may know and understand what things they ought to do and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit one God now and forever amen Children, come on up. Well, Heavenly Father, we just pray to you that uh, you'll send your Holy Spirit in a special way every Sunday, but this Sunday we pray into the lives of these children and touch them in, in a mighty, mighty way. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. What a great crew. Love those kids. This morning's first reading comes from 2 Samuel, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Isaiah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of firwood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. 
Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. This is the word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 85, and we'll say it responsively by the half verse. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have taken away all your wrath. Restore us, O God of our salvation. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you not revive us again? Show us your mercy, Lord. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. Mercy and truth have met together. Truth shall spring out of the earth. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. Righteousness will go before him. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Our second lesson comes from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. And Jesus called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put, out, put on two tunics. And he said to them, In whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise be to thee, Lord Christ. Lord, I thank you for bringing us together to worship you, to call upon your name. I pray that you'd help us as we dig into your word, as we look to those who have gone before us, that we would be encouraged and strengthened. And Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would strengthen our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So if you've uh, been here one of the past couple weeks, you'll know we're talking about David today. I've got three sermons to talk about David, and I think I could probably have written about ten. So we're just kind of glancing at some of the highlights of his life. He's one of those rare people in the Bible where we really get a story from his youth to his death. And we get to see, it's so fascinating when we get these stories because we get to see the challenges and the changes in our life. Because the truth be told, not every day is the day that you slay Goliath. Not every day is the day that you resist the great temptation. Not every day is the day that you get anointed king. Not every day is the day that you're in the wilderness and everything's going against you. So it's such a comfort to us to have these people in the Bible who lived all the ups and downs of our life and to watch not their faithfulness to God, but God's faithfulness to them. And so as we talk today, I'm actually going to be talking about the failures of David, his greatest shames, things that cost thousands of people their lives, things that ripped apart his family because he failed. And so I want you to keep in mind God's faithfulness to David in the midst of David's failures. It encouraged me as I was thinking about this sermon. But we're going to start actually as an introduction with our Old Testament this morning, where we have David. This is before any of his great failures. In fact, he's celebrating the return of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. A, a really wonderful day where you celebrate the idea of the presence of God coming into his city. And so David is unashamedly dancing. It's like he's in a linen ephod. So he's like barely covered, you know, and he's dancing back, practically naked up the streets in front of everybody. And what does his wife, Michael, 
who's the daughter of Saul, you'll remember, what does she think? She's embarrassed, and she makes fun of him. How great you are, king, being all uncovered. You must feel really good about yourself. You should, basically what she's saying is the opposite, is how disgusting that you would just lay yourself out there. You're a king. Shouldn't you act befitting a king? But Michael believed one simple lie, that it was somehow David's authority and David's ability that made him king. Because what David was praising God for was the fact that he knew it was all about God. You think it's hard for us to realize that Jesus Christ is our king instead of us. Imagine if you were an actual king. Imagine if you actually had the power of God behind you. You're leading Israel in their most glorious conquest. You're bringing the Ark of the Covenant in. And yet, what does David do? He gives all the glory right back to God. And he even responds to Michael well, right? He basically tells her, he's like, look, I would have done more than that, except that's what God called me to do. He's like, do you want me to go out there and do it again? I'll do it every day. He just stands her right up and says, no, no, you shouldn't be embarrassed to be worshiping the Lord. And you know what? Michael doesn't have a child for the rest of her life because of one simple thing. She spurned the worship of God. That should be a heavy warning to us. If you're embarrassed to raise your hands in church and praise him, I'm not saying God's going to make you barren. I am saying take the hint. There's something important about worshiping God. And she was just making fun of her husband, but it reflects her heart. You think she ever danced before the Lord a day in her life? Probably not. She didn't have the whole idea. We actually sang it today, and I'm like, man, it's almost like you don't even need to preach a sermon. You just read those lyrics again. Jesus Christ is my king. What a beautiful name. What a powerful name. It's all about him. Remember, Jesus Christ is your king. He's not just your friend, your buddy, your brother. He's also your king. So as we talk about this, and I want you to just keep that in mind, it's like the worship of God allows the blessings of God to flow in your life. And the only person who can halt the blessings of of God in your life is you and your heart. I'll make one more comment on that. You know this guy, the devil, right? Big bad guy, Lucifer, the enemy of our faith. Sometimes we make too much out of him, right? Because Jesus already won. He's defeated. His power is dead and gone. Jesus has all the authority. So I don't want to make too much of him, but I think it's illustrative to talk about what happened. He was the chief musician, probably the top angel, the top dude. Because you know the worship of God is so crucial that the angel in charge of the worship of heaven is the top dog in heaven, right? And he because of the very gifts that God had given him, became prideful. And it created the greatest fall, the most iconic fall in the history of the world, in the history of the cosmos, was Satan turning against God and introducing evil into the world. And so I bring that up to say, what if God had promoted Michael in the midst of her pride and her dismissiveness of God's ability? Well, the higher he promotes Michael, the farther she can fall in the midst of her pride. So I say all that to say you can halt the blessings of God in your life because he's not going to give you something that's going to lead you to greater destruction. He's not going to bless you outside of your humility. Now, you can earn for yourself things here and there, but God's favor is on those who are humble and he resists the proud. There's nothing more humble than worshiping God and acknowledging that everything comes from him. 
Not to mention worshiping God dancing naked. But I, I don't know if maybe we don't need to do that. But the point is, there's a humility under David's actions that say, even though he's going into his city in triumph, he gives it right back to God. That's why God was able to promote him and bless him. But you know what? He forgets. He forgets a couple times in his life, and it costs him dearly. So we're going to talk about that today, but I just want you to see how good everything's going for David first. So we're going to read a couple verses. This is when David's at the height of his power and authority and abundance. So in 2 Samuel 3.36, it says, And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as everything the the king did pleased all the people. Everything the king did. Have you guys ever met a leader where everything they did, the people were a fan of? I've never met them. That's some abundant favor of God right there. That's not by David's actions. That's because God's favor is upon him. There is no such thing as a universally liked leader. But God gave him that favor so that the people were behind him wholeheartedly. And now in 2 Samuel 5.10, And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Man, I want to be like David. These are some good verses here. And then further, Nathan comes to confirm the favor of the Lord. In his life, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is a little bit of a longer promise that's given to David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them. So that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over Israel. And I will give you rest from your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Man, that's a lot of promises for David. And do you know what house he's talking about? That the, it, the, sorry, the, his, his descendant is going to establish? It's actually this house that we're in right now is the house that God's talking about in this promise. Isn't that crazy? It just blows my mind. That's, we think 4,500 years ago David was around. And Nathan made that promise to him. We have pretty good evidence from the historical record, not to mention the Bible, that David was around maybe 4,500 years ago. And Nathan said to that king, one of your descendants is going to establish a house that will be forever. And we're sitting in it right now. It's the church. Jesus came. He was a descendant of David. And like it says, and I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. David didn't even know what that meant. He didn't realize it was the very son of God that was promised in these promises. But we're actually benefiting from the abundance that God poured out on David because of his actions. It's pretty impressive. I bring that all up because we actually are the inheritors of this promise. The things that are promised to David about his house, we actually are participating in. No enemy shall come against us against which we will not prevail. God will actually give us rest from our enemies because we are the people of the house of God, the people that Christ came to set up. 
And so, of course, King David's heart is so good. We've got to read his response here. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. That is the promise that we get to stand on. It's not about us. David has the exact right heart. I'm building him up a lot because, man, it makes the fall all the more tragic. But look at what, how he responds. When God gives him a promise, he's like, first of all, Nathan gives him a promise, and he's like, I need to go talk to God about that. There's a lesson in that. Sometimes we want all of our interactions to God to be mediated within the church when God wants you to just sit before him, and he wants to have a conversation with you. And David's heart is to give God the glory. Who am I that you should promise these things to me? And yet so often when we receive promises from God, we either dismiss them or we think of them as our due. Well, it's good I got that promotion at work. I worked my butt off. God's blessing me for my hard work. That might be true to some extent, but also there's the other side of it, which is that God out of the abundance of his glory is giving you the ability to walk in the blessings that he has promised you. And lastly, and then we're going to get to the difficult verses. In 2 Samuel 8:14, after this promise, it says, And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Did you know that that's actually God's purpose for us? To have victory in everything we do? There's not a challenge in your life that God purposes for you to fail. There's not a test that comes your way that God has planned for you to fail. Now, of course, God knows our weakness. He remembers that we are but dust. And when we do fail, he is not surprised. He's not disappointed. He's right there to bring us up. But his purpose is never that we would fail. Every time God gives you a command or a promise, he also gives you the power to walk it out. And so when we fail, we have to turn to him and we have to say, God, it's on me. It's not you that led me to destruction. It's on me. And then when you have that heart, that's the heart he wants to use to raise you up. We'll see in this next story what I'm getting at here. So this is the most famous of David's issues, David's problems. Even to us, it seems pretty extreme. And we've seen a lot of evil and wickedness in our time. So David the king in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. The clue to what David did wrong is right there. You've probably heard it before. The time when the kings go out to battle, David sat back in his palace and enjoyed his luxury. Now, we actually get, the, the author is really great because he actually gives us a hint here. In the next couple verses, he says, basically, David's walking around on his rooftops. He's just been lounging on the couch. And now he's walking around on his rooftops, kind of surveying his dominion. And he kind of puts him in this posture that you, you totally get it. It's like he's walking around thinking how great he is. He's thinking, man, I've got the best 
castle in the world. I've got the best people in the world. God is for me. He's sitting there feeling the abundance. But you know what? He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. There is nothing wrong with enjoying the abundance that God has given you. We see it time and again when David's celebrating and feasting and God's just pouring out his blessings. David's like, man, who am I? You're so great. But everything in this story points to the fact that David had grown accustomed to his wealth and his abundance. He had grown so much that he thought in his mind at some point, I won't go to battle like the kings do. I'm going to sit back in my palace and let my people do the fighting for me. Don't ever be the person who sends out somebody else to fight your battles. And so David's walking around, and he's got this luxury, this leisure, and he looks over, and what does he see? A beautiful woman bathing on the rooftops. Wrong place, wrong time. Wrong place, wrong time. And he falls in that moment because he put himself in a position where he was spurning his duty to be in the war, and he was looking across his domain, and he was open to the influence of the enemy. I just want you guys to know right now that there is nothing that comes into your life that is more powerful than Christ within you. And I say that because you hear this excuse all the time about people like, I don't know what happened. It just happened. I just fell in love with this other woman who wasn't my wife. It's like, no, that's not how it works. If you do your duty to love and serve your wife, If you walk faithfully and humbly before your God, then there is no such thing as I don't know what happened. I just fell in love with someone who's not my spouse. There is no such thing. David actually put himself in the position where he was disobeying the command of God to be the king of Israel. And that allowed him to then take the further step of falling. It's never Uh, There's a great casting crowd song, right? It says, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away, right? It's a convicting song because it's like, it's one little choice after another. Maybe the first choice David made was, you know, I don't think I'm going to, you know, we're going to delay the fighting for a month, maybe the year before. He's like, we're just going to go later. I'm going to enjoy my luxury and then I'll go lead them. I don't know what happened, but he started making decisions to cater to his own comfort instead of looking for what God wanted him to do. And so you know the story. He sends out his people and he says, bring that beautiful lady to me. And he sleeps with her, even though he knows that she's married to one of his mighty men. Not just a soldier in his army, but one of the elite few that were legendary for backing up David and going on these great adventures. And he took his wife and she got pregnant. And so David, instead of at that moment, man, he had such a great moment for humility. He messes up again. He's still all in his own head, and he goes, okay, how can I cover this up? How can I save myself the pain of people knowing that I did something bad? And so he calls back Uriah, and you guys know the story. He basically tries to get Uriah to go and do his husbandly duty um, while he's off leave. He's like, hey, come on over, and he gets him drunk. He's like, okay, go see your wife, you know. He's trying to cover up the fact that he has made this sin because everybody's going to know Uriah wasn't in town. And we saw her go into the king's palace. What happened over there? So he's trying to cover it up. And then the furthest, probably the deepest, darkest thing that David commits to in his entire life, he then sends the order to kill Uriah, his friend, his companion, the warrior. And you know what? I think that the decision to kill Uriah actually happened a little earlier in the story. When David's trying to get Uriah to go and sleep with his wife, he says, 
Uriah responds in 2 Samuel 11. The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. You know what I think happened at that moment? I think David's heart convicted him. Because what's Uriah saying? I'm going to do my duty. I'm not going to take my ease and luxury and lay around. And at that moment, I think David's heart, hit. He, the reality of the situation hit him. And he had two options. We always do. Did he repent at that moment? Did he confront his friend with his shame and his guilt? Or did he resent the truth as it came out of the mouth of this man? And he chose resentment. And resentment is the spirit of murder. When you choose, instead of humbling yourself and forgiving and repenting, and you choose to instead harbor resentment, it leads to murder. Jesus tells us that even if you're mad at your brother, it's murder. And that's what happens here. He gets angry because Uriah shows him a better way. We all know this. Because there's that person in our life where, you know, we didn't read our Bible yesterday, and then they come over and they tell you, man, I just had this great time with Jesus. And something in you is like, oh, man, dang, you know, you get mad because, like, this guy's so perfect. He just, like, he read the Bible and I didn't. And there's something just natural in us that's like we want to compete with one another. When all David had to do was open his ears and hear the word of the Lord from Uriah's mouth, which is, while the army's out there, I'm not going to take my leisure. So instead, David digs a deeper hole, and he goes and he kills his friend. He orders Joab, and he says clearly in the order, make sure that Uriah dies. I mean, he doesn't even cover it up. It's like so sad because you can see what has happened in his heart as he's bought the lie that I talked about, Michael, that he's now the king, and he should get his way, and nothing should get in his way. So then, of course, God, in his loving kindness and faithfulness to David, instead of just condemning him to death outright, which would have been just, like if David, the next page of the story, it's like, and then David was struck down and died, we all would have been like, that makes sense. That sounds right. But God's better than that. Instead, he sends his prophet to once again call for David to repent. And the prophet tells this great story. I was going to show the VeggieTales version, but it's just a little too long. There's a great VeggieTales with the flannel graph. But the long story of it is, is the prophet comes and he tells the story of a man, a landowner who has thousands of sheep. And is just this rich, wealthy guy. And he's having a big party. And one of his friends is coming over. And he looks over at his neighbor who has just one lamb. And it says that he fed this lamb from his own hands. It's really fun how he makes the story so dramatic. It's like he, the lamb lived in their household, and they fed him with the hand, and the kids loved the lamb, and the, the man took the lamb out of the household and slaughtered it to feed his guest. And, of course, David is quick to realize the injustice. He says, this man should die, or at least he should pay back fourfold. He should go to prison. Like, this is so wrong. How quick are we to see in others the fault that we have in ourselves? <laughs> it struck a chord. I, you know, I get mad when people talk too much. Like, what? Who am I? I see the fault that I have in myself and others, right? So the point here is David is struck by the injustice of this situation. And man, it's one of the coolest, most B.A. things that any prophet in the Bible ever says. He goes, you are that man. 
to the king of Israel who just murdered somebody to cover up his wickedness. Nathan goes, you are that man. And it's just so tragic. In the VeggieTale versions, they do it really well because the prophet's just like so tired. And he goes, you are that man. Don't you understand, David? And then he says, thus says the Lord of Israel in 2 Samuel 12, 7. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hands of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would have given you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? It's so sad. It really is. God is telling David, like, I've done everything. I've done everything for you. And I would have given you more if it wasn't enough. And yet you took something that wasn't yours and you did what was evil in the Lord's sight. It reminds me of Ruby and uh, Rowan right now are in this great time of life. We all know what it is with kids where literally the only desirable toy out of the hundreds of toys that they own is the one that their brother's playing with or their sister's playing with. We all know. We see it. The only desirable toy. David has hundreds of wives and concubines. The only desirable toy is the one that somebody else is. Or maybe you're scrolling through Instagram and you see something really cool that your buddy gets to do. Or a house that they bought. Or a job that they got and you think, oh, man, look at that. What did, what did they got? I, would, I want that. When God's like, I've given you everything. And I would give you as much more. Why are you jealous after other people's stuff? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Apparently that can buy a lot of houses. I don't know. We don't really deal in cattle anymore. But the point is, he owns everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And yet we lust after the other people's stuff. But man, what a tragedy. Someone who has been told has the heart after God's own heart misses the boat. He tries to take for himself when God just wants to give and give and give. And God's prospering him and prospering him. I just I want to make this point. The blessings of God are also our responsibility. And the more he blesses you, the greater responsibility you have. And part of the tragedy here is that David is now the leader of Israel, God's chosen people, and he fell. And it had ripple effects for generations. What are you giving into? What is that private thing that you're lusting after that might have a ripple effect for generations to come? Because God wants to take it away, not because he's mad at you, but because he wants to bless you. He wants to take those things away so he can promote you. But, you know, there's a chance here for David to react like Saul, to continue on this path. He could kill Nathan. Nobody would know. Nobody would know if he just killed the prophet. Or maybe they would know, but nobody would say something against him. He's the king. He's the king. He can do what he wants. Remember what Saul did when God told Saul that he was going to take the kingdom away? He tried to kill David. Because he realized, oh, that's the guy that God's going to give my kingdom to. I'm going to oppose God to the day I die. And you know what? Not only Saul died, everyone in his household died, except one nephew, one crippled nephew who survived. But instead, David, in that moment, shows his heart when he says, I have sinned against the Lord. It's no excuses. There's no fighting. He just says, I've sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan tells him, well, you know what? The consequence of your action is that that child that Beersheba has is going to die. 
And so David, what does he do? He goes into the temple and he repents in sackcloth and ashes and he fasts and he prays. He says, God, spare this child. Take away the sin. But the only thing God can't do because of his justice is erase the consequences of our actions. He can forgive us. He can heal us. He can make everything new. But he can't take away the consequence of our actions. A dramatic illustration. If you pull a gun on somebody and you shoot them in anger, God can't stop the bullet. Because he can't just take away the consequence of our actions. He has given us free will and he'll allow us to walk it out. Now, I don't want to get into the theology of this, right? God is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. There are miracles where he prevents great disasters. But what I'm trying to say is that it's not because God didn't like the baby that Beersheba was having. It's not because God was angry. It was a direct consequence of David's sin that this came upon his household. And so even though David's in sackcloth and repenting, the baby dies. But what does David do? And this is just like so illustrative of his heart. He turns and worships God when he finds out that the baby has died. Instead of gathering more resentment, well, God, I repented. Rowan likes to do that, right? It's like, okay, it's time for you to be disciplined. No, Dad, I, I'm sorry. I do, I'm, I'm good. I won't do it again. It's like, no, you still have to be disciplined. But Dad, I said I was sorry. I still did it. It's like, no, but you disobeyed. And I'm doing that because he needs to know in the world that's how it works. You can't just say sorry and move on. There's a consequence. Now, like I said, God makes all things new. And guess who Beersheba's next child is? Solomon, the wisest man to walk the face of the planet and the inheritor of David's kingdom. A great, 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 great grandfather of David. That's pretty darn cool. God can use even the worst circumstance where David has taken this wife and he's killed one of his good friends and he can bless the entire world out of their line because God is that good. But it's all about David's response, right? Because you know if David started killing the prophets and trying to gain the kingdom for himself and fighting against what God had said, it just would have spiraled into oblivion. But instead, David said, I am going to repent and own my sin. Now, there's another story of David's fall, and we're going to talk about it very briefly for the sake of time. Basically, what happens is, as David's now, and I'll tell you, man, women are always the problem in Scripture. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the fact that David's married to hundreds of women is the problem in Scripture, right? But his kids, right, are now fighting among themselves. It happens over and over again throughout the story. But one of the worst instances is one of the guys rapes his sister awful, sister by another mother, whatever. But her brother, Absalom, who was close with her, takes offense, as you might expect. And what does David do? It has one line in there. It says, and David was very angry. He didn't do anything about it. He just was angry. And it reminds me of a story a couple chapters ago in this book where Eli was the prophet before Samuel. And his sons were doing awful things. They were stealing from the sacrifices. They were having sex in the temple. They were doing all these things that were awful, right? And Eli went out to his sons and said, don't do that. That's bad. He didn't do anything about it. He didn't do it. He, let, he abdicated his authority as the father to stop what had occurred and to, get, to be the discipline that God wanted to bring. And so God had to bring correction to save his people. And all of Eli's household died. To the man, to the woman, to the child, they all died. 
And so you think about that, and you think about what David's doing here. He has an atrocious situation in his house, and maybe it's because he loves his son and he doesn't want to hurt him. But the, just, the discipline of God is because he loves us. And so as fathers and as mothers, it's our responsibility to bring the discipline into our relationship with our kids. But once again, David abdicates his authority. That's what he did when he didn't go out in the battle as the king. He abdicates the responsibility and the blessing and the authority that God had given him as the father. And he does nothing. And that leads inevitably to Absalom murdering his brother. And David has another opportunity where he doesn't do anything. And then eventually Absalom takes the throne and thousands of Israelites die because they're fighting over who gets to have the throne. Ultimately, what I'm trying to say this morning is that as God blesses you, press in to what God wants you to do with your blessings. Because his will, like I said at the beginning, is that everything you do should result in victory. But he's not going to take our will away from us. And so if we choose instead to abdicate our authority, to walk away from him, to stay out of touch with what he wants in our life, then we can bring ruin into our life. There's nothing he cannot redeem, but don't give up the fact that we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. Take heart, because everything that he has called us to is regarded as victory in Christ. He will complete the work he's doing in you. But pay attention. Press in. Look for what God wants you to do. And lastly, of course, I'll mention as David enters his latter years and he finds out about the death of Absalom and he takes over the kingdom and he ends up passing on the kingdom to Solomon. More bloodshed there, whole other stories. But when David learns that Absalom has died, it's actually a really poignant example of the father's heart because he calls out in 2 Samuel 18.33, the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, my son, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would that I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now we know that David's inactions led to Absalom's rebellion. But there's also this poignant thing where it's like, yeah, and Absalom tried to take authority on himself. He rebelled. He caused the deaths of thousands. And yet the father's heart is, would that I had died instead of you. The Father's heart, our Father's heart in heaven, even when we rebel against him, is would that I had died instead of you. And so in the midst of all of this brokenness that David goes through, he always responds to the Father with the Father's heart. And that's why we say that David was a man after God's own heart. There are two reasons that make him unique in that way. First of all, he wanted God's will for his life so much that he was willing to repent. He was willing to turn back from his wickedness when he was called out. And secondly, he loved even those who betrayed him. He resisted their evil, right? He took the kingdom back from Absalom, as God led him to do. He resisted Saul, even though he loved him and fought against him. But he loved them in spite of that. And I don't have time to explain all the things I would love to say about that, but I do want to say that we don't ever get to turn people, even if they're our enemies, into things that we hate. We're called as the kingdom of God to love those, 
even those who have been set against us. Resist the evil, love the person. The cliche is, right, you, you hate the sin, love the sinner. But it's true. There is something in that that we're called to do. So as we wrap up our story about David, and I didn't even get into the Psalms. I was really good. I cut it way down, guys. I promise. As we wrap up our story about David, let's remember to desire what God wants for our life, even more than our own. Know that our source is him and love even those who stand against us. Ask God to reveal those places where we can love those people in our life that are just not so easy to love because that's the Father's heart. He wants to see the whole world saved and renewed. Amen? Amen. world father we pray for your holy catholic church all may be one grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you that your name may be glorified by all people we pray for all bishops priests and deacons that they may be faithful ministers of your word and sacraments we pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world may be justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. They may be delivered from their distress. Give to the departed eternal rest. Let light perpetual shine upon them. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we also come and share in your heavenly kingdom. Hasten, O Father, the coming of thy kingdom, and grant that we, thy servants, who now live by faith, may with joy behold you, thy Son, at his coming, in glorious majesty, even Jesus Christ, our only mediator and advocate. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Turn, greet your neighbor with the peace. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. So we got a couple of announcements. I just want to make one thing really clear, though. It's really lucky that I get to do announcements this morning, because I do want to say, I have actually heard a story of somebody who took up a gun to shoot somebody in anger, and the gun misfired. So I want to just clear, clarify, although we don't have time to get into it, my brain's racing a thousand miles an hour. I'm like, okay. The point is, there are consequences to your action. I think you guys get it. You're smart. I'm going to leave it there. But it just came into my mind. I was like, dang. Well, it wasn't a good example, but there's a point to it, right? There's a point. (laughs) We do have a couple announcements today. Uh, First of all, thank you to everyone who helped with the car wash yesterday. It was super successful. The youth group raised $500 for the youth retreat, washing cars around the neighborhood. And some amazing hot dogs were consumed that Eric cooked up. It was a great day was had by all. Uh, We do need, we are going to have a a bake sale. How many cars did they wash? Oh, a lot. (laughs) Uh, No, they were beat. And... and, uh... 
If you're supposed to go to two, and I got here at one thirty, and they wouldn't wash either one of my cars. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably just you, Bishop. No, no I, actually, <laughs> they had dead batteries. I couldn't get them around to the other parking lot. But, hey, those kids are working hard. And you know what that means? That means you're going to have an amazing, amazing time. And my prayer this morning, man, the Lord just started speaking to me. I got so excited. Don't be surprised if you see me up there. Amen. Let it happen. That's not so thrilling for them, is it? Cool. So, yeah, we've got the youth retreat, and they're going to bring, they have a little bake sale thing out there, so we'll have some treats for everybody. Sign up if you're of age, and uh, feel free to support us uh, in any way. We'll have a couple more fundraisers in between now and then to uh, make up the rest of the cost for the retreat. We're trying to keep the retreat really low cost for the attendees, and so we want to support that so that anybody can come who feels that they want to come. Well, I'm going to support them just as if they had washed my cars. Amen. Let it be so. It's about we, the money. It's not about the cars. That's right. We want to get these kids away where they can hear from the Lord. Amen. And then every, we've got one more announcement is the uh, men's meeting next Saturday. Men's we've meeting. got a work meeting, 9 a.m. We've got lots to do. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're making. What, why do we call them men's meetings? Why don't we just call them men's work day? Well, sometimes they're meetings. Most of the time we get some stuff done because that's what you do. You get a bunch of guys together and you get stuff done. It's no, awesome. Exactly. I'm just pulling your So, way. yeah, come dress for work. We're going to get some spaces cleared so that we can use them for the furtherance of God's ministry in our building. Amen? So everyone they've had so far has been just amazing and such a great uh, camaraderie. Amen. It produces a great change not only in our men but in our facilities. So. Amen. No downside. Be here. Awesome. That's Saturday? That's this Saturday at 9 a.m. I can't be here this Saturday. Oh, well, we'll just, uh, we'll miss you. <laughs> Sorry. All right. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
even though he was a missionary his whole life, he spent probably the last 15 or 20 years with the CEC, and he was uh, a missionary bishop, what I'll say, in uh, Mindanao and in the Philippines. We've been praying for Gene over the last few years because he keeps going blind. Everybody who knows him, who knows about him, knows he's a miracle. He's a miracle. He's raised out of a wheelchair and his whole life ministering. He's had several heart attacks. He's gone blind a few times. But... Uh, I talked to him this week, and I just have an aboding, a sense uh, he's gone blind again. He's very old. So we, let's just lift him up in the Eucharist. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Father, all powerful and ever living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that's made us a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we'll proclaim your mighty works, for you've called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. So with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory. We join in their unending hymn. Spirit, come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he's given up to death, a death he freely accepted, 
he took bread and broke it. He gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup, and again he gave thanks and praise. He gave it to them, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whatever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ Christ has died, Christ Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread and this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world and make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, and all of the clergy. Remember all those who are sick and affirmed in spirit, soul, or body. We hold up this day Connie and Susan and Carl and Serena. Naomi and Nadia and Kyle and Sonia and Marie and Sandra, Tammy and Karen and Kyla, Gavin and Jean and Sandra, Mark and Diane, Raul, Mario, Patrick, Melvin, and our Marines and Sailors. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and broken as we receive the body and blood of Jesus. May we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Hallelujah, Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. and Feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. The body of Christ, the cup of my salvation, the blood.
In thanksgiving, let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food and the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Say, Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, a prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell, Satan, and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking ruin of our souls. In the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen.